Welcome to episode 29 of Your Town Crime. This week we visit Spearman, Texas. I talk about buffaloes and windmills. Shannon talks about a beautiful woman, two doctors, and a man with low self-esteem with aspirations to have it all. I'd like to thank podbean.com for getting our podcast out to the world and podbelly.com for teaching us how to make a podcast. Thank you all and enjoy the show. Hey Shannon, how's it going? It's going, Jason. How are you? I'm doing well. <laughs> doing well. We're we're back at it. We're a day late again. Sorry. Yeah, we've all got. <laughs> well, it's not all your fault. Uh, <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> it is. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, we'd like to welcome you all to the episode. It's episode 29. We're going to Spearman, Texas today. And if this is your first time listening to this podcast, how we choose our town is we throw a, a dart at a map. Literally. Literally. We have a map on the wall and we have a dart and we throw it at the map. Yes. And sometimes we hit the map and sometimes we sometimes don't. Sometimes we don't. That's right. <laughs> uh, but that's how we choose it. And every town's got a story. That's what we say. Every town's got a story. And so far, that's, that's, that's been true. Mm-hmm. We've never so been stumped. Cool. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's neat. And a lot of times there's a lot of towns and regions that are connected. And in some ways that you might not think. So go back and listen to the episodes. Uh, Previous to this, you've got 28 others to listen to. Can't believe that. Get on it. Yeah, get on it. So every every town has its own story. And uh, also we also say, or I say, I don't know if you you say (laughs) it, but um, the the crime does not define the town. So that's how we're a little bit different than other true crime uh, podcasts is that we talk about the town too. So you're going to find out about Spearman, Texas. Uh, so when you hear the name Spearman, you're not going to think all about the murder or all about the true crime that we're talking about right. or about the bad things. You're going to think about the good things too and might want to plan a vacation around going to visit these places. I think we're the only ones that do something like this. Most of the time the crime stories are on the person, right, not anything else. Yeah. So we're, yeah. we're originals. I hope so, yeah. So, welcome to the show. <laughs> welcome. Like I said, we usually uh, release these on Wednesday, and we are re- recording on a Wednesday, so that means we're late. Yes, I'm sorry. Listen, it could be COVID brain, it could be mom brain, it could just be new job brain, but I totally forgot yesterday. Well, <laughs> there was a huge storm when we decided coming through the what is it, Ida, mm-hmm. uh, was coming through Tennessee. That's where we're at in East Tennessee. It's coming through pretty hard um, when we were scheduled to, to meet yesterday. So that, you know, I don't think it would have been safe for you to come anyway. So Yeah, I just, it wasn't the hurricane, though. It was just. Yeah. <laughs> I well, totally I was wondering, you know, where you like... were. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe she's just worried about the weather. She's going to be here in a minute. Yeah. Uh, but I'm pretty sure our road was flooded. I know one side was. Okay. I'm pretty sure it was coming in the other way. So it's a it good thing. Been, uh, 
hard to get here in yeah, your car, so and probably hard to get out. Yeah, not it's not it's just not worth risking your life for this podcast. Yeah, I think we were just out of school, like we got called yeah. out, and I, my head was just somewhere oh, totally yeah. different. So sorry to all of you who were impatiently waiting because I know you're waiting. I do for this. on some of yeah, yeah <laughs> my podcast. I, you know, the day they come out, I'm I'm right there, and I know some of you guys are too. But uh, thank you all for for waiting an, an extra day for that, and uh, here we are. Yes. So because well, we have real lives, and maybe, yeah, we do. We're real people. <laughs> We're real, real life. We don't have a nice studio. We're not getting paid for this. Uh, so you gotta. You we gotta, wear a lot of hats. So yeah. So it's fine. We like it. Yeah. If you want to send us some money. <laughs> and and pay pay for this podcast sponsor us then uh then uh you can link you can email us you can find us at yourtowncrimepodcast.com yeah that sounds and, good uh, yeah and give us some money so <laughs> now we uh we do do this for fun so this week we're going to spearman texas like i said uh this area um i've been in this area i have family in this area and i reached out to some of my family or to one family so member, cool. actually. And Spearman is at the northern part of Texas, like right. close to Oklahoma. Right. There's the panhandle mm-hmm. of Texas, and then there's the panhandle of Oklahoma also. Uh, it's Spearman is in Hansford County. Hansford County is one of the five counties uh, on the northernmost border of the panhandle of Texas that touches Oklahoma, the panhandle of Oklahoma. Yeah. So this is it, as far north in, te- in Texas that you can go. There's five counties up there, and they're they're pretty big counties. A lot of big ranches up there. Uh, so that's where we're talking about geographically. We're talking northeast of Amarillo. It's right on I-40. A lot of people have traveled I-40 in their lives, and nowhere. time out. I really like how I'm saying it's just north of north of Texas, right below Oklahoma, and you're like getting in all these details. I love it because well, that's, I'm that's, like so like dumb blonde. Like it's just north. Yeah, it's just kind of in the north. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were right, but I I don't know. That's me. That's my part. So I, I kind of go. I'm the map nerd. <laughs> I'm the map nerd. So remember we uh we found out that uh in the Andrews in our first episode that the Texas border Texas and New Mexico border uh there is not well, actually is not actually in the right spot that's by correct. three miles. So if you Look remember at me remembering there that. You go. Yeah. <laughs> that was from our first episode in Andrews, Texas, which is uh not very far south, but it's Texas, so it, it'll take several hours to get down there to Andrews from uh, Spearman. Uh, but, but yeah, we're talking about just northeast of Amarillo. And uh, I have family out there in Amarillo, and uh, I don't know if they want me to tell exactly where they're at, but around Amarillo. Mm-hmm. Um, my family moved from where we're at now, uh, from where my family lives now. That's, we settled here a long time ago, 1819-ish, um, here where we're at. And um, in the 1920s, I guess it was right around 1920, 100 years after we settled this area, uh, my great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather moved to Texas with some other uh, aunts and uncles. For like jobs or? They sold the farm here. Um, one, one family member went out there with her husband uh, to Texas just for new opportunities or whatever. Uh, then my great great grandfather went out there to visit. He had asthma. Uh, East Tennessee was not; it was was damp, humid, humid. Uh, so he went to the dry Texas air. He felt better. I don't know when he went to visit, but they moved out there in 1920. 
uh, with my great grandfather. They sold the farm here. They sold everything they had. I've actually seen the the historic uh, like the sale and all that stuff. How much they made for everything we have that mm-hmm. still. Uh, so anyway, they moved to Texas in 1920, and then my great grand great great grandfather died in 1921. Mm-hmm. So I guess he felt good for a year. I mm-hmm. hope he did. I yeah, mean, you moved all that way, and then my grandfather who who uh, ended up moving back uh, back here where my home is. Um, he was born in Texas in 1925 in Wellington, which is south southeast southeast. Yeah, of okay. of uh, Amarillo, south of I 40, and I've been there several several times. Well, not several. I've been there a few times in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1982, I was there. I was there again in 2005. So, and I still have memories from 1982, and I know that sounds crazy because <laughs> I was born in 1979. That is crazy. But I just called my dad to ask him about some this 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 memory I have, and uh, I might talk about that in a little bit. But I I I have memories from that. That and is I, so weird. And I know you think it's, <laughs> well, you've seen pictures, you've seen whatever. You were three years old. There's no way. But I remember I can see people walking across a a basement in a church or somewhere we were have there was a big dinner after church mm-hmm. one Sunday afternoon and I can still see the paneling on the wall, the brown carpet. I can tell you <laughs> how the tables were set up. Oh, now that's gosh. not a picture. And I, I can see people walking. Could, I remember walking around in there and that was, I remember things from town. It's uh it's ridiculous how my, what my memory is like from back then. But yeah, and I, people don't believe me, Yeah, but they've always said that when I was five, they're saying you don't believe that. So, I think that's why, because I've they've been telling me since I was a kid that I don't believe this stuff, <laughs> that I don't remember this stuff. So I think I just kept going, uh, and that kept the memory alive. Anyway, I messaged my cousin's wife. Um, and he passed away early this year, but uh, but I got a hold of her and I talked to her. Uh, he was there in 1982, also. Okay, uh, you remember him? I do. I remember <laughs> him fondly from when I was a kid. He was he was in, he was a little bit older than me, and he was him and his brother. Um, they both passed away now, uh, really early in their thirties and forties. But that's sad, uh, sad story for sure. But I remember them from when I was a kid, and they were so cool to me and my brother. We were younger than them, but they were just old enough that they still played with us, and they still they still made us part of them. And they were, you know, five six years older than us as a kid. Mm-hmm. That's that's a lot, you know. Yeah. Uh, but they included us, and they were so so good to us when we were kids and I have very fond memories of them. <laughs> I reached out to my cousin's wife. She's from the area, uh, from, from real, real close by. So she gave me some things to look at and, uh, I do appreciate that. And hopefully she's listening and enjoying. So thanks for letting me go down that, that little memory, memory lane there. We're in Spearman, Texas. So Jason, tell us a little bit about Spearman. All right. I will. <laughs> Spearman is in Hansford County. I believe I already said that. Um, the population is 3,300, so it's a pretty small town, um, and it's a fairly new town too. Uh, it's only uh, it's only about 100 years old, so um, it's a small town. It's only 100 years old. There's not a lot of history. See, the first settlers to the area were buffalo hunters, so that makes sense. That sounds mm-hmm. like Texas. Yeah, right? that does. Uh, they set up camps in the area and. Um, Buffalo hunting became pretty big in 1870. Uh, there was a new way of tanning buffalo hides uh, developed uh, in that year. Uh, so buffalo hunting just went crazy. They started just killing buffaloes for their hide, uh, but 
I think we all learned this in school that the buffalo were a huge part of Native American life. It supplied them with uh, clothing, just food, just tools. They used, you know, I remember in school learning learning warmth. that they used mm-hmm. huh? warmth. Yeah, like. warmth. Just mm-hmm. every part, every part of the animal. And a buffalo was a big animal, so it it offered a lot. Uh, so they're just going after the hides. So it's just they just decimated uh, the buffalo herd all over the plains and the in the entire country, and uh, pretty much they just wiped them out almost. Um, so uh, this wasn't taken kindly uh, to the Comanche, the Cheyenne, the Arapaho, and the Kiowa, who were in this area. Uh, they didn't like it for sure. And those Native American tribes, they ended up uh, fighting back and wanting to, you know, keep their way of life. And they didn't like that the the white settlers were coming in and um, decimating their buffalo herd and, and ruining their way, way of life, taking their food away, uh, taking their, just, they didn't like any bit of it. Uh, so they ended up, uh, uh, there ended up being a skirmish, a lot of uh, fighting uh, between the buffalo hunters and the uh, the Native Americans in the area. The U.S. Army was sent to find and relocate uh, the Native American tribes in the area. Um, and this became known as the Red River War. Of course, they didn't want to go. They didn't want to be rounded up and put in reservations. They had already, their lives were being attacked. Their lives were being ruined. And here was the U.S. Army that was going to, do worse you know mm-hmm. who's going to take them and put them where they didn't want to be uh and pretty much just leave them mm-hmm. so they uh they fought uh but I, it took about a year uh for the u.s army to completely uh round up um all the tribes in the area and move them uh, move them to reservations so in 1875 uh this opened up more land for settlement more people from, from the east started moving in, more European settlers, more white settlers uh, started moving in from the east and uh, setting up ranches here. Uh, Hansford County was formed in 1876, uh, so just right after that, uh, they started organizing it more in 1889. In 1890, there was 23 ranches in operation. These ranch- ranches were huge. There's a lot of land in here. You know, there you look on the map of of texas and you look at the panhandle there's five counties that go across that northern border in the panhandle that's that's a lot of space Mm -hmm. in those five counties the town of hansford became the county seat that makes sense you know it's hansford county so we're going to have a a town called hansford Uh, and it became a stage stop for the tuscosa dodge city trail so we've heard of Dodge City. We mm-hmm. uh, might have heard of the Dodge City Trail before, and uh, that was in 1887. In 1909, many Norwegian uh, families began to settle in a community that they named Oslo. And I couldn't find that, so I don't think that's I think that's a ghost town now. Uh, but you know, what about that? The Norwegian uh, settlers named uh, their community Oslo. Uh, wonder where they got that from. In 1917, Spearman. Uh, was platted. It wasn't a town yet. It was just uh, just some land, but uh, there was a railroad that was uh, anticipated in the area. It had been talked about, so they, they started uh, platting uh, the, the roads there, and it became Spearman, 1917. It was named for the vice president of the North Texas and Santa Fe Railroads. All right, and by 1920, 
221 farms and ranches were in the county. So this place was growing. Uh, a lot more people in the area. A lot of land being sold and bought. Uh, the same year, uh, 1920, North Texas and Santa Fe Railroad built a line into Spearman. So there it was. 1917 is when it started, and the railroad came in in 1920. Uh, Spearman became the county seat in 1929, and that was because of the railroad. Hansford was like four miles uh, west of uh, west of Spearman. All that remains is a uh, is a cemetery, and there's there's houses and ranches around it. But you know that's as far as uh, but that's that cemetery was the only cemetery in the county for a long time after that. Um, so that was 1929 when Spearman became the county seat. So it was officially a town. It was officially the county seat. Oil was discovered in the area, in the county, in 1937. This changed a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, ranching and farming was huge when oil was discovered in this area in 1937. And that doesn't seem like far, that doesn't seem like a long time ago. Definitely not. Uh, it does not. 1937. I th- when I think about oil being discovered in Texas, I'm thinking about uh, I think it's the 18, yeah, mm-hmm. 18 something. Uh, so that was surprising to me. Um, we talked about farming and ranching being huge. Uh, last week when we, we hit Spearman, I Googled it like I always do, right? Mm-hmm. I always Google, Google maps. I always get on Google maps and like zoom in. What can I see? And I saw this huge brown squares rectangles whatever shapes they were straight lines and i was like what is this and i zoomed in feedlots it was it was cattle feedlots and they were huge and i I started get this week i've kind of looked at them and like one of them was like a, a whole section a section of land is a, a square mile so mm-hmm. a square mile of feedlots uh, this is finishing lots where they send the cattle to kind of right before they they slaughter them mm-hmm. so uh I think I could I could be here. I'm, I live in Tennessee. We don't have uh, sections of land, um, just for you know, feed. just for feed cattle, so uh, or for feeders. But uh, anyway, so I might not have that exactly right, but I know they finish finish some cattle in in those lots. Um, but you can see those. You can also see see uh, huge center pivots. We also don't have center pivots. Not a lot of them around here anyway. We've got a few. Do you know what that is? No. It's irrigation. It's an irrigation. You've seen, uh, you've probably seen pictures, or I don't know how much you get on Google. Do you get on Google much and just Google mess maps? Google maps, yeah. No. I did uh, with my kids, and they loved it, but yeah. not. Well, you've been, when you flew to L.A. to meet Patrick Dempsey. Uh, <laughs> was it Patrick? <laughs> yeah. Did you look out the window and see a bunch of circles in the, like in the green circles? If I did, I don't remember. Oh, okay. Well, those green <laughs> circles are from a center pivot. Uh, the grounds, uh, the earth is too hilly where we're at here, but it isn't, there's not a hill in sight in, uh, in Spearman. So they have these huge center pivots and they have a, uh, they're, they're tapped into a well into the Ogallala aquifer uh-huh. that we talked about in Adams in uh-huh. our first episode. Andrews. Andrews. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that we talked about Andrews. Yeah. So they're tapped in the wells, uh, there and the pumps and they, they pump water into these. Uh, there's like a, a a center pivot. I mean, there's like the the center point, the center pole irrigation, uh-huh. and then there's a long line. And some of these that I looked at were a half mile long because it they took up an entire section. Like, mm-hmm. so they've got wheels on them, 
It's a big pipe uh-huh. supported by wheels. And then the, the water propels this irrigation, the sprinklers. Okay. So the sprinklers propel themselves. So mm-hmm. this big, huge arm that goes, stretches out a half mile in some cases, not all of them are that big, but I did see one that was that long. It'll propel itself and it'll make, it'll irrigate the crops. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, they look like huge circles. Okay. So there's a lot of people in the plains are like, you took a long time to explain <laughs> a center pivot. We see those every day. They're <laughs> everywhere. But we don't have them around here. I've seen, there's one outside of town. There's a, in a, in a valley here um, on a sod farm. And that's the only one I've seen in this area that like the, the entire eastern region of the United of uh, not the United States, but East Tennessee. I Everywhere think I'm I've just been. oblivious to everything. I'm yeah. like, uh, now I'm going to be looking for center pivots everywhere I go. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> one close to here, at least one. There might be two or three on that farm, but it's it's in a it's in a valley around here, and we <laughs> don't have very much flatland. Anyway, all right, moving away from center pivots, but I just thought that was cool. Uh, you can see a lot of farms. You can see those uh, large feed lots for finishing cattle. Um, they're just huge out there, so you can tell that that is a, just on Google Earth. That farming and ranching is huge. Um, talk about something else in Spearman. You know, for the history, there's there's got to be more history there. But uh, you know, just getting into it, I couldn't find a lot. Uh, but there, some of some of the cool things to see there is the J.B. Buchanan Vintage Windmill Collection. That is cool. It is cool, and it's right on the main drag, the main highway, going right through Spearman. It's five acres of old wind windmills. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, this dude, J.B. Buchanan, he collected windmills, and he had a ranch. He started getting a lot older, uh, like really old. And his son was the, <laughs> was the mayor of Spearman for a time. Um, and they moved moved all that he owned, owned part of this land or owned this land and moved all these uh, windmills into this, this five-acre lot in 1999. So he said he was climbing windmills up to his 90s. Oh, wow. So, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's goals. Uh, he loved windmills. That's cool. Evidently. So, it's, all, it's a bunch of antique windmills, and it looks really neat. You can see that on Google Earth, too, and you can get a street view of it and uh, also click on the link there. Uh, they have a station master's house. We talked about the railroad. It was a huge part of Spearman uh, for moving cattle, for moving people uh, in and out of the area. The station ha- master's house museum has a cottage. Uh, it has a cottage there that was built for the railroad station master. It uh, also has the Santa Fe Depot, and it has a windmill there on site too. Ooh. Windmills are a big deal. Yes. My granddad, who was born in Texas, he uh, he had a windmill in his backyard. Not a big one, but he's, it just reminded him of his childhood and his home, and he had bought a windmill just for show. That's it was, so cool. It was, a, it was a, you know, it's just a first for show. It was probably, it might have been 10 feet tall. So it didn't do anything. They used them for pumping. Uh, they used them for actual work there. There was right. oil pumps back then, and uh, and didn't have a lot of water flowing there. Uh, that's why the the aquifer, why they drill into the aquifer. Uh, so they have to they had to use wind, and they've used wind for years and years and years. So the windmills are pretty cool. They used them for mills. Okay, that's why they call windmills. Use them for mills. Use them for pumping water. Uh, for the wells, all kinds of stuff. Anything that needed to turn, they used a windmill for it. There at the Station Master's house, the museum, there's also a replica of the first building built north of the Canadian River uh, by settlers. So that's 
that's pretty neat. There's a that lot of history cool. there to see, and you can also go in there and and find out more about uh, about the area. All right, so um, my cousin she she talked about uh, uh she said yeah, I need to look into this guy. His name is Harold Corson, and he's he's still alive. Uh, he's older now. Um, uh, he's getting getting up there in age. He's a former mayor of Parrington, which is about, I think it said, 26 miles up the road from Spearman. And he uh, was an oil executive. He, uh, he was born into the oil industry, but evidently was self-made, made his own uh, oil and gas company and became an executive of that and kind of built that on his own from the ground up. But now he has a lot. He owns around 55,000 acres. Oh, man. Yeah, 55,000 acres in Texas and Oklahoma. It's known as the Lips Ranch. Um, and he and his son, his son, I just saw his, his son passed away um, here in the last year. Um, so that was sad. He was, uh, he was around 60, I believe. But, uh, but anyway, they, they owned some land uh, in this one area, and it was called the Buried, the Buried City Indian Ruin. And they bought this land, and it, it was along the Wolf River, it's northeast of Spearman. People have known about it for a long time. The buffalo hunters that were there, they knew about it. They would talk about it. They would camp near it, uh, that kind of thing. There was also a river there, so uh, people have been using this area for a long time. So it wasn't unknown, but uh, Dr. Uh, Irley of the Canadian Academy heard about it in 1907. He started archaeological digs in 1910. Um, and they got in there, and they're like, well, this is going to be uh, – the, the Plains Pueblo uh, people or the Buffalo uh, people. Um, but it, they got in there and they started looking. They're like, no, this is this is old. This is pre-Columbian. Over the years, they found more and more than this is an old, old ru- ruin from uh, that they're, they're learning more about all the time. Uh, it was an advanced culture. And this area is it was, it was a densely populated area five miles along the Wolf Creek. Uh, so the Corsons, they've, uh, Harold Corson, him and his family, they've helped fund uh, some of the digs through the Texas Historical Commission. So that's, uh, they've, they've kind of played a big part in that and helping this uh, get, uh, get noticed and get bigger and get studied. Um, you can find more about this in the Museum of the Plains in Parrington. It's the Museum of the Plains, the P-L-A-I-N-S, but they have planes in the building p-l-a-n-e-s uh and they also have other things they've got a great hall it's 400 feet long it's got things there from uh, the historic indian period up into the 1950s uh it's on uh it's up in parrington on highway 83 uh and hank the cow dog uh which was written by john r erickson is from up in that area so uh hank is everyone's favorite cow dog but uh, if you've heard of that, that's where he came came from. But the museum is uh, is up in that area. They've got a lot of the artifacts from the uh, from the ruins there, and all kinds of prehistoric fossils. They found a mammoth up in this area, uh, so you can find the, you can see the remains from there. Antique tractor collection, crafts, and and things like that. I'll try to link that to our Instagram page. So uh, so anyway, a spearman. That's yeah, Spearman. That's the county. That's a little bit of everything and a little bit of uh, rambling about my family. When I think about the Panhandle of Texas, I think about my family. So I'm gonna talk about them a little bit.
So, all right, now that's enough of me. You guys, <laughs> skippers who skip me and are ready for the true crime, here we go. Shannon's got something for us, right? Yeah, I do. Okay, so like Jason said, Spearman is not. Uh, it's not been around for a long time, and it is a small. I would consider it kind of small, right? Community. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, the, yeah. And these towns, I mean, they're spread out in Texas. Like I said, it's big. Everything's right. big in Texas, including the land between cities. Right. So whenever I was researching, like, okay, let me try to find something in here. Honestly, Spearman, you guys either are doing a great job with your crime or it's just not getting put out in the media. Either way, there was a few stories, but only one that I felt like I had enough information to talk about. But I didn't really want to talk about it because it had something to do with the baby. And I just didn't want to go down that road because we've seen or we've heard of several stories like that. So I'm going to go with something that has a connection to Spearman and is close and nearby. But it's just got a little bit more stuff in there. So although this crime wasn't committed in Spearman, there is a connection there. In today's episode, we're going to look into a crime involving a beautiful woman, two doctors, and a low self-esteem man whose aspirations are to have it all. Dr. Joseph Sonia was a pathologist out of Lubbock, Texas, which is about three hours south of Spearman. Sonia was in his mid-50s in 2012. Some would describe him as a good-looking guy, especially given his age, and you wouldn't have to worry about money because he's a doctor and he did super well. So... Usually, if you're good-looking, you have a lot of money, and you're a man, women are going to like those things. So, he did well with the ladies. Although it seemed from the outside, his life looked perfect. He had gone through, though, some definite trials. Sonia had married his wife very young at the age of 19. They were the f- their first loves. They had three boys together, and after 27 years of marriage, his wife, Becky, left him. She had left Sonia for another man, and that was devastating for everyone in the family, the kids and Joseph also, although him and Becky did remain friends, and they spoke to each other kindly, so that was good. In early July 2010, Becky, his ex-wife, was murdered by her second husband, who she had left Sonia for prior He shot and killed Becky before turning the gun on himself and committed suicide. So that was a little, that was a tragedy, not a little. That was a big tragedy for their kids and I'm sure for uh, Sonia, the doctor. Uh, Sonia never married after Becky, but he did date several women and he seemed to enjoy the new dating life. He picked up dancing at a dance studio in Lubbock, where he was able to meet several women around his age. So that was good for him. Um, and I'm sure the women flocked because he was he was a good looking. He was tall and mm-hmm. in shape and all that. So you had a two step and he knew how to two step, possibly. <laughs> One woman got Sonia's attention around July 2011, and that was Rochelle Shatina. Rochelle was in her early 50s, but you couldn't tell by her looks. She was a gorgeous blonde who took care of herself very well. She was in her early 50s, but, I mean, she worked out all the time, got Botox. I mean, she did it all. The two's relationship really seemed to blossom quickly. Rochelle met Sonia's sons and their children. 
His children approved of the relationship and really enjoyed meeting and talking with Rochelle. On July 11, 2012, two years after the murder of Sonia's ex-wife, a landscaper for Sonia noticed that the window was broken and entered the home to look for him. He did not show up for work that day. He was found stabbed and shot to death on his garage floor. The landscaper did tell 911 that there were bullets on the floor of the inside of the house when they did the walkthrough to find him. So, for me, whenever I was reading this and I didn't know the ending of this story, I was trying to think, does this have something to do with his ex-wife since it's around the two-year mark? Is this have, I mean, right? Could it, could there be a tie there? Police were trying to put the pieces together on who would want to kill Dr. Sonia. He didn't seem to have any enemies. They first talked to Rochelle since they had been dating, and the police always go for right. the loved one first, the, whoever they were closest to. She gave detectives lots of different names, ex girlfriends in particular. She had mentioned how there was a couple of girls who were texting him mean things, I guess, because he was with Rochelle now and not with them because he was a little ladies' man. But That's so weird. Yeah, in their oh, 50s. Yeah, in their 50s <laughs> playing high school games. I know, but that, he had, had not dated because he was with yeah. his first wife for so long and they were so young, right. so he had never really dated. So it was a whole new scene for him. Right. Rochelle also told authorities that she felt like she was being watched at her gym and noted that there was a, she also told them that there was a note left in her, left at her house from an apparent, it looked like it was from an ex-girlfriend. And her and Dr. Sonia just thought someone was trying to mess in their relationship and get in between them. Hmm. So they just kind of just disregarded it. Prior to dating Sonia, though, Rochelle had been dating another man named Dr. Thomas Dixon. So she does have a type. That's what I was about to say. She's got a type. <laughs> yes. Who was her former plastic surgeon oh. in Amarillo. Wow. The two met at a med spa where she would get her Botox injections, and they had a, a very immediate spark from the interviews that I watched. The problem was that Dixon was already married. That. Yep, that would be a problem. (laughs) But the two kept their relationship going. They had an affair, and when Dixon's wife found out about it, she was out, and she left him. They kept their relationship going, but Rochelle said there were some holes. They just had issues, which, you know, you would. would. Um, And she wanted more emotionally from him. At one point, Rochelle thought the two might be getting engaged, but Dixon bought her a T subscription instead. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like the Tea of the Month Club yeah. type thing? Yeah, one of those things. Like a little Earl Grey this month. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't know. It didn't specifically say if she was pressuring him to get married or what, um, but it kind of seems that way. Months later in 2010, though, Rochelle broke up with Dixon because he just wasn't giving her what she wanted. Dixon did not take this news well. She, she, she didn't. She didn't like the the, the last tea. The yeah. last month came, and she's yeah. like, "No, no, that's that. This ain't gonna do. This I is need it. better tea." I wanted that. a ring in my tea. <laughs> uh, so Dixon did not take this news well. He was very much still in love with her, and I'm sure he was. It was the woman that he cheated on his wife for. Like he's probably, obviously, he's got some issues, but. 
Um, they still spoke often, and they met for dinners to catch up with each other, even after they were broke up. And so they broke up in 2010. In October 2011, Rochelle met up with Dixon one last time where she told him she was in love with another man, Dr. Sonia, enter in the dance partner, and that she dun, was dun, not dun. ever coming back to him. According to Rochelle, Sonia knew about the meeting that the two had, and this also didn't sit well with Dr. Dixon. He was still madly in love with her, and he was hanging on to the hope that she was giving him by meeting him and calling him and going to dinners with him. And then she just says, I'm in love with someone else. And he, I had saw an interview where he had um, told someone that, he felt like she was trying to rub it in his face, like to get back at him right. for not, you know, proposing or, you know, give her what she wanted. So Dr. Dixon had a friend from Spearman named David Shepard. David was someone who had already been in trouble with the law previously. He had stolen roughly $29,000 from a company that he'd worked for. So he's already been a little bit you know, he already has like a interesting reputation. Dave has been described as an insecure man who wanted the lavish lifestyle and clung to those people that did have the lavish lifestyle, but he didn't put in the work necessary to have that lifestyle. Um, but he was kind of obsessed with people that like jail envious of those people that had it. And he loved Dr. Dixon's life. He was a plastic surgeon that had the money, the cars, the house, the women, they started their friendship over cigars at a smoke shop or a cigar shop. Yeah, okay. smoke shops. A smoke shop, shop. Cigar bar or whatever. Where they would meet up to just casually smoke. The immediate friendship was there, and the two talked a lot about previous relationships that they've been in. Shepard looked up to Dave and wanted, wanted exactly what he had, and he seemed to cling on to whatever Dixon said. This is where Dixon opened up to Shepard about his broken heart and how he could get Rochelle back. So he was asking this guy, or he was telling him his his problems with Rochelle and, you know, that he really wanted her back and how that could happen. How can I get her back is basically what their conversations were. Hmm. They talked about different ways that they could break Rochelle and Dr. Sonia up. And one of those ways they came up with was to send child pornography to Dr. Sonia's, a, pers- a subscription to child pornography to Dr. Sonia's office so that it would ruin his reputation. So that was one way hmm. that they could break them up because if she found out, then, you know, she wouldn't want to be with him. So these guys started out. Just smoking just, casually, just, wow. hey, like, I see you at the bar, like, let's have a talk, and then now they're talking about how they're scorned and, Yeah. Um, and one night they, Dixon and Shepard went to some club and they had a few drinks in and they were just talking about what are, what are some more ways that we could, how can we get, um, Sonia out of the picture? What can we do? And Shepard said, well, we could kill him. And he said, he said it in like a real casual, a real casual way, but that's when, Dr. Dixon, like, was, like, pointing at him, like, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Like, we'll visit that conversation later. Wow. Yeah, so. So, he wasn't, like, you're crazy. Yeah, he, he was wasn't, like, like, no. Let's talk about this a little bit. <laughs> Let's, oh, wow. Yeah, he's, like, okay, we'll talk about that later. 
So they decided that night after they left the club that, yeah, that's the best option. We've got to get rid of Dr. Sonia. So Shepard was going back and forth where Dr. Dixon was giving him money for gas, for food, and for housing. Dr. Sonia was in Lubbock, Texas. Dr. Dixon and Shepard were in Amarillo at this time. So that's a couple hours away. They're not super close to each other. It's not convenient. So Dr. Dixon would give Shepard money to go down there and stalk Rochelle and Dr. Sonia, where he lived, what he did, what her routine was. Shepard cased Dr. Sonia's house a few times before the murder to see the layout and how he could enter the house without being seen. He got into the backyard, climbed over the fence. He took multiple pictures um, of the house, of the backyard, of the couple. He took a picture of them, and Rochelle told detectives in an interview that she remembers one night of someone taking a picture in their car and them seeing the flash, but they just kind of laughed it off and didn't really think much of it. Right, yeah. Um, and she also noted to detectives that she had she felt like someone was stalking, like following her from the gym when she would go daily. So thankfully, a week after the murder, a guy named Paul Reynolds contacted authorities to let them know that his roommate had mentioned that he killed someone in Lubbock. When authorities questioned Shepard about the murders, because that was his roommate, this uh, Paul Reynolds was... Dave Shepard's roommate. So apparently Dave went in the spiral after he killed Dr. Sonia and he tried to, I had read, he tried to commit suicide by slitting his wrist and he had some severe cuts and he went to Dr. Dixon's office where there was footage of him going into the office with Dr. Dixon and he repaired his He stitched him up a little bit, and he fixed Mm -hmm. it in the office so that no one could know. He talked him down off the ledge because this guy was feeling some major guilt about what he had done. So when authorities questioned Shepard, though, about the murders, he denied everything until three months later when when detectives offered him a deal of no death penalty. But he had to talk. He had to talk on the stand about what Dixon did. Um, Which... He agreed to and then only did, only came through with half. Like he didn't answer all the questions fully. And, but anyway, he did reveal to authorities that him and Dixon talked about the different ways that they would kill Sonia and that Dixon had paid him three silver bars and a box of his expensive Cuban cigars for killing Sonia, which he cashed out the day after the murder. Like he cashed out wow, the silver yeah. bars. Um, Dixon. And I saw, I did look a little bit on that. It was mm-hmm. they were only like three thousand dollars worth three thousand, so nine thousand yeah. dollars plus some cigars is not that much. That's not a lot of money. No, but this guy was so invested in Doctor Dixon, he just wanted a friend. He right. wanted that, like he yeah, looked up to him, too. and he just Doctor Dixon, I believe, totally used him, um, of course. But Dixon first denied when he when authorities came to his house and interviewed or was asking him questions. He denied even knowing who Dr. Sonia was and said he hadn't spoken with Rochelle in months, which detectives knew that that was a lie because they they had had text messages and they had video and they he had actually texted Rochelle about Dr. Sonia 
and so he knew who he was, and so they knew he was lying. Uh, Shepard chose the plea deal to testify against Dixon, like I said in the trial, in exchange for no death penalty. Shepard is currently serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole, and in November 2015, Dixon was found guilty of capital murder and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole as well. But in December 2018, through some different things, Dixon was granted a new trial where his bond was set to $2 million and he and he was released on bail for $2 million. And in April 2020, though, Dixon was returned to prison to serve, to continue serving his life sentence. So he did not get away with it. Wow. So that's a lot. A lot of people, a lot of moving pieces. But um, I and will say... And he didn't get the girl. And he did not get the girl. So take note, all you psychos out there. Yeah. You're not going to get the girl if you do this. Yes. And ABC has like a little mini like documentary that I watched. I mean, it's real small, like six minutes a piece. And it was really, really interesting. And so that's where I got a lot of my information. So shout out to them. It was really well done. All the interviews and stuff. Okay. It was really good. So, not technically in Spearman, but there was a connection there. Yeah, he was from Spearman. And, uh, yeah, Spearman's a, a super small town, and everybody's famous in a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's watching out for their neighbor. So, it's kind of hard to do a lot of crazy things. Uh, I mean, you can get in trouble still, but, but you know, everybody knows you. Uh, you're going to, you, you can't get away with things. So, uh, Spearman is a nice town. Uh, it's just a good, hardworking town. Got a lot of good people. Salt of the earth, I'm sure. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, if you're going uh, down I-40, heading west or east, uh, get around Amarillo, uh, head north, and go visit Spearman. Uh, yeah. While you're there, I, you know, I, t- I talked about uh, some things there. I talked about the J.B. Buchanan Wheel Mill Park. These, these are all, some of these places are, are close by. This is in Perryton. Uh, you can go to the Watonga uh, Cheese Factory. Also in Perrington's the Museum of the Plains. There's the Adobe Walls in Barger, Texas. Go visit the uh, Hutchinson County Historic Museum over in Barger also. In Pampa, Texas, if I'm saying that right, Pampa, Texas, uh, there's the Woody Guthrie Folk Music Center. That would be cool that, to go to. That would be cool. Yeah, you know who Woody Guthrie is? No. This land is your land, this land is my land. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, okay. his son Arlo Guthrie had the... the uh, Alice Diner Thanksgiving song back in the 70s. Okay. You ever heard of that Alice's Restaurant? I that was his so. son, Arlo. But Woody Guthrie, was, he was, uh, you know, during the Great Depression, he, he was writing, you know, this same is your land, Dust Bowl, all that stuff, the Grapes of Wrath uh, time period where people were heading from Oklahoma, Texas, out to, uh, during the Dust Bowl, to, uh, to California, all that stuff uh, during that time period. Uh, a lot of people were poor. A lot of people couldn't take care of themselves. Uh, crops were ruined. Uh, my family in the Panhandle of Texas, um, you know, I told you two families moved out there. Uh, I don't know if I was clear on that, but it was a brother and a brother and a sister and their spouses and and kids moved to Texas. Uh, at some point through the Depression and the Dust Bowl, uh, they flipped a coin because they only had enough money for one family to come back to Tennessee. So they flipped a coin, and I get I don't know if the my grandfather, my great grandfather, ended up having to stay in Texas. So I don't know if he lost or won. Hmm. Uh, probably lost, but they uh, ended up back here. Then my 
my great grandfather ended up back here too after uh after world world war ii uh, my grandfather who was born in in texas in 1925 he uh he left home after my grandfather well, it was around 18 um he uh my grandfather had his own i think he had 88 acres of uh of cotton on his own uh but my grand my great grandfather bought a tractor and uh before that they used mules and uh, oh. my, my granddad was like well you don't need me anymore dad i'm i'm gonna head out so he left and ended up in the, the army and, and in europe you know pretty soon after that yeah but uh but anyway, so Texas, this part of Texas is pretty, uh, pretty special to my heart. Uh, but yeah, they they had a really tough time in this area back in the the thirties uh, with the dust bowl and all that. So uh, I'll post some pictures on Instagram of that. There's a dust storm uh, picture uh, coming into Spearman. I'll post that so you can kind of see what that's like. Uh, but you know, people you just couldn't breathe. Houses would be covered. Uh, if you're from up north and you have big blizzards and you're you know, you open your front door and there's a wall of snow. It was a wall of dirt. Mm. Uh, just awful, uh, awful time for these people. All right, so we're, uh, it's time to throw the dart. We're going to move on to that. So uh, whose turn is it? It's your turn. It's mine. Okay, so here we go. You're going Kentucky. <laughs> okay, Jason, where'd you hit? Well, I was aiming for the southeast, and I barely got there. <laughs> uh, just not too far from us. We're going to Bowling Green, Kentucky. Bowling Green. Okay. I've been through there. All right. Yes. yes. The first one. <laughs> I have been to Bowling Green, too. I was there uh, two years ago, I believe. Okay. Went There's a Corvette Museum there, so I'm sure I'll talk about that. Uh, so it's a big town, too. Uh, pretty big. Yeah. Pretty, we won't have any trouble finding no, anything. No, not at all. So. All right, guys, thanks for listening to Spearman, Texas. Uh, you guys can link to our socials from our, uh, from our website, yourtowncrimepodcast.com. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. If you don't want to link to our, our website, you can find us at, uh, at yourtowncrimepod on Instagram, on Twitter at crime underscore town, and on Facebook at yourtowncrimepodcast. Most, uh, do most of our stuff on Instagram uh, and Twitter. Uh, starting to get a little bit more active on Twitter, uh, but uh, find us there. If you need to email us about anything, you can link to that through our website or just uh, go straight to yourtowncrimepod at gmail.com. And uh, let us know if you're from the area and we missed something. We'll try to include it on the next episode. And, uh, and Or try just to let us know out. that you listened. Yeah, that'd like, be great. I mean, we can see people listening, but it's really cool to like know like someone to comment yeah. or to send a message like that's really cool yeah it is really cool to see you guys uh see you guys listening giving us a, a like uh or a comment on uh on instagram or something like that it's really cool it, uh, mm -hmm. it makes us happy and uh it brightens our day we're just out here trying to have fun and we're interested in true crime we're interested in history and uh hope you guys are enjoying it so come back next week we'll talk about bowling green kentucky and uh We'll try to be on time. <laughs> Sorry. Nah, I got to remember too. So, all right. Thank you all so much. Okay. See you next week.